take a look at these three things that we call faith, hope, and love. I want us to take a look at what each one of them means and really what it means to us. Now, I'm going to be looking at pretty familiar passages. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 for faith. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 for love. Now, hope in the middle, I don't know that we focus as much on, and it's also a topic that I want to get into this evening as well. So take a look at the video uh, for this evening, and we will uh, look more details about hope and, and what our hope is to be in. But we're going to be looking at a little bit of it today. So faith, hope, and love. These three are oftentimes associated with one another, and they mean a whole lot to us within just what it means to be a Christian. One of the most well-known passages that kind of combines these three things is at the very end of 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. So let's take a look at each one of these, and hopefully by the end of this, we will all uh, be more knowledgeable about what it means to have faith, what it means to have hope, and what it means to have love. Let's start with this first one of faith. Now, faith is kind of difficult because sometimes, you know, we want just a, a definition of it. And interestingly enough, it's one of these words that we do have in the Bible as pretty much it's a definition. Let's take a look at that from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3. It starts off, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So if you look at this passage, we already start to see of what faith is. Now, this big definition, um, it, you know, it's the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. So I hope that you've kind of already picked up on the fact that our faith is connected to the hope. And actually both of them, both our faith and our hope, they are combined with us not being able to see. It's kind of an odd concept, isn't it? Because so much about what we believe about God is not based on what we ourselves have necessarily seen, but it's based on this trust. 
And, and really, that's, I think, a good way of looking at what faith is, about putting your trust in something. Now, whenever we trust in the God of the Bible, then, you know, we don't have anything to be afraid of because we can trust fully in him. We, we can put everything upon him. He will take care of us and he will provide for us. Now, um, I, I kind of think about this in the way of with my own children. You know, my own children, uh, as they're growing, they've kind of started to uh, to press some of these boundaries as to, well, what can I actually do? And I, I'm talking mainly like physically is what I'm thinking of. And even just the past uh, week, uh, they've been kind of uh, climbing a little bit higher than what they have before. And all the while, you know, they, they want me to, to be there with them. And, and I'm, I'm right there by their side. And they have faith in me that if something goes wrong, I'll be there to help carry them through it. Now, of course, you understand that this comparison only goes so far because, well, I'm a human. And don't tell them, but if something does go wrong, I might accidentally drop them. But for the most part... So far, at least, I've been able to make sure that I am there if they need help and they haven't fallen, you know, whenever those those times might come. But, you know, that's where it's limited because I'm just a human. Whenever we put our faith, when we put our trust, when we put our assurance, our confidence in God, we can be assured that, that he is, is going to be faithful. I mean, look at his track record. I, I think that in many ways, that's what we have in the Bible is this time and time again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God has brought his people uh, through tremendous things and God is always there. And I think another way of looking at this, and I've already kind of started to go into some of these, is not so much trying to find a definition like you would find in a dictionary to find some of these words. Um, but it would be great if what we could do is to look at examples and to learn from examples. That's why Hebrews 11, I believe, continues on and gives us example after example about great men and women of faith who we can learn about what they did and, and how they trusted in God and how things worked out great for them. And we ourselves are now encouraged to do the same type of thing and follow uh, after these examples that we see here. Now, I'm talking about some examples like this. Let, let me tell you one of my personal favorites. One of my personal favorite characters from the Bible is the person of Noah. I just, I love how when literally everybody else in the world is doing wrong, he stands up as a great man of faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 7, this is what's stated about him in this, this wonderful chapter. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. But by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So we see from Noah, um, yes, he was told by God what was coming, you know, the flood was coming, but I mean, he hadn't seen it yet, but he had faith. That's an example about our faith. Even though it doesn't always make sense about trusting in God and doing the things that God wanted him to do, like Noah building this big ark. Why does that make any sense? Unless you firmly trust in God. And that's what Noah did. And that's the example that we need to follow as well. But we see other examples too. Examples such as Abraham. Perhaps you like him. In verses 8 through 10, we read, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he's made his home in the promised land like a stranger in the foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Once again, this, this whole example of Abraham, we see 
he didn't see these things. You know, he didn't see the the uh, the the end journey, so to speak, or he didn't see the the end result. But he went on that journey with God. He trusted in God, and we see that that's how he lived, and and he acted out his faith in his life by just obeying God and trusting in him. We also can learn from the example of Moses, which by the way, this is the, the last example I'm going to give because this chapter is full of them. We're not going to go through each one because we still have to look at hope and love. We're still looking at faith though right now. We read in verses 24 through 27, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So we see about how these journeys of faith, it's not based on what we see. It's not based on what's right in front of us. It's based on the true and living God. He will provide for us. He will take us through it. This chapter also teaches us a few other things about faith. For example, in verse 6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've also, so now we see that, you know, we also have to have uh, faith in him. In order to please God, we've got to have faith in God. We see these examples of faith. They're all something about looking forward. And they're all something about uh, something in the future, something good in the future. We see in verses 39 through 40, talking about all these examples that we read about in these chapter. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, we also are, are part of this faith community. Uh, that, that spans from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Our faith is built upon, and it, it firmly rests on trusting Jesus Christ, on trusting God to bring us through all these things. We also see that we kind of complete the faith of the Old Testament in the sense of we, we all can become mature. We can all become this family of God when we all trust in God that he will take care of us and, and he will, will uh, push us through no matter what happens. Uh, even though all of these examples, they didn't it receive, they didn't even see necessarily what they were promised, but they, they were looking into the future, which also tells us that faith and hope are closely related to one another. So let's now take a look at hope. Um, the main passage I want us to look at comes to us from Romans chapter 15. Now, there's so many passages really that we could look up about this hope, but I just want to share with you about this. And um, just as I mentioned at the end of looking at faith, we see that faith and hope are closely connected with one another. Uh, they have very close ties together. In fact, in Romans 15, uh, we're going to be looking at, at chapter 15. But if you back up into chapter 14, he's just been talking about faith. And the last verse of chapter 14, Paul says this. He says, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Wow, you want to know something else about faith? I, I know that maybe this rightfully belongs in talking about faith, but it bridges the gap about hope as well. We see that, that everything that does not come from faith is sin. Then he starts talking about this hope that we have. That's the topic that he picks up in Romans chapter 15. And, and these are what we learn about this hope. These, these are some of the things that we, that we learn about this hope, um, which is still 
keeping all this in context here, is closely related with this faith. Both of them are something about uh, waiting and longing for the future, things are, that are, are not yet seen. That's what hope rests on as well. So now let's actually get into Romans chapter 15. So in Romans 15, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 at the beginning. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now already in this chapter, we see that, uh, yes, those examples that we looked at, the previous ones, those examples of faith, okay, those examples can be brought into this hope as well because they were also experiencing the hope. And hope has uh, this, this idea about you have confidence of what is going to come in the future, confidence whenever we hope in God that it's going to be a good thing, that good things are going to come to us in the future. We see that from uh, the examples, such as Noah. We see the examples of Abraham. We see the examples of Moses and so many others who they expressed their faith, but by expressing their faith, they were also expressing this hope. Even the definition of faith is wrapped up in this hope. We see that these examples that have been written in the scriptures, they were given to encourage us. And they were also there to provide us so that we might have hope. Does that help you? You know, when you read those passages, I think that's why we focus so many time, so much of the time on stories whenever we, uh, we have kids who are, are being raised in our Sunday schools and we teach them these stories of the Old Testament, teach them the stories of the New Testament, teach them how God has time and time again brought people through things that it doesn't always make sense as to how it's going to work out. But it does make sense in the sense of God is still in control. They can have hope and we can have hope through these stories. This passage continues on in verses 7 through 9 with this call of, of being like Christ. We are told, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. So this is what we start to see. This is the hope because it spans more than just what the patriarchs were promised. The promises were given to those patriarchs, those, those examples of faith in the Old Testament. But it's not even just about Israel. See, this passage brings it in and shows us it's also about the other nations as well, these Gentiles. That means it's about us too. These promises and this hope comes down to us. And even among the Gentiles, praise and hope can be found. And it can all be found through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us through his life and through his sacrifice for us. Verses 10 through 13 go on and give more examples of the Gentiles rejoicing with the nation of Israel. Verses 10 through 13. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. By the way, he keeps quoting all these different Old Testament passages. Verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Yes, our hope is on Jesus Christ. And then we see this, this wonderful call here in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about God in this way? That our God is the God of hope? He is. He's the God of hope. And the whole reason as to, as to what he does and how he can be filled is so that we can overflow with hope. So God is the God of hope, but he also allows us to overflow with hope. All of this is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the plan of God the Father that he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope that the future is going to be uh, good for us. It all comes through Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's where we're eventually going to get. But before we get there, I want to share with you just a, a couple of, of my favorite passages. Uh, well, for example, I want to share with you one of the most well-known passages on love. In John 3.16, we see some examples of God showing his love, and this is the example right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the love of God. This is how much God has loved us. We also see a, a, another uh, passage that I believe is uh, interestingly related because this is John 3.16. But you know, the, the book of 1 John 3, verse 16, also says something very similar to this. In 1 John 3.16, we not only have about the love of Jesus Christ, but also a call for us to do the same. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, this is the example of love. This is what God has shown us. But we still might be wondering, okay, so what is love, though? What, what does it come down to? And to that, now we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, we quite literally, just like with faith, we get love is. So what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, a very interesting activity for you to do and, and for you to see, um, do you love as you should? In, every time you read the word love, instead of reading love, try to read your own name within that and see, does any of that make you feel uncomfortable uh, about describing yourself in those ways? And if it does, then I would suggest to you, then perhaps that might be an area of love that you need to work on. And, you know, I've done this before, and I, I think it's important for us to, to continue to do this. I don't know who first came up with that. I know that several, actually, individuals have, have told me that. Um, but I think it's a great practice for you to try to put your own name within the place of love right here and see if it makes sense. Because we are called to love one another. We're called to show love like what God has done. And we see the, the importance of this love. We, we do see definitions, yes, but along with this definition, we basically are just seeing examples about what love is and how love acts in all these different places. We've seen the example of how much God has shown his love for us. And I want to share with you something else that, that makes this passage very powerful in 1 Corinthians 13. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we might not focus as much on love as what we perhaps should be. 
Because the context in 1 Corinthians 13, it goes back at least to the previous chapter and it's going to continue on into the next chapter. So you got 1 Corinthians at least verses, I'm sorry, chapters 12 through 14. And it's all talking about spiritual gifts. Now you might even say it goes even bigger than that and perhaps it does. But right here, in the midst of all this talk about spiritual gifts, you know, we, we might have an interesting fascination with spiritual gifts today. And they had their own questions and they had their own uh, fascinations with it too. That's why Paul wrote this, this part addressing these spiritual gifts. But right here, this chapter that's, that's put in the middle of all this, at the heart of it, it helps us to keep it all into perspective. Because if you look at the verses even right before this, you start to see, yes, he's been talking about spiritual gifts, but he is saying that, look, if you've got all these spiritual gifts, but you don't have love, what do you really have? He actually says it like this. And by the way, we're going to go back up into um, just the take one verse from chapter 12 here. So 1 Corinthians 12 verses 31 through 13, 3. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then we get that description of love, that love is all of those other things that we looked at in the, the previous slide from, from earlier. But notice what he says right here. The whole purpose in him showing this is to show us, as the previous chapter says, to show us a more the most excellent way. Not just a more excellent way, but you know, the most excellent way. He's been talking about these spiritual gifts, and yes, he, he speaks about how some of them might be greater than the others. Let's not focus on that right now. Let's notice that what he says is he says all these different gifts and he says, look, if I do these different gifts, if I, if I act on all these different gifts, but I don't have love, love, what am I? He starts off in verse one and he says, look, if I don't have love, I'm just making noise. Verse two, he says, if I don't have love, I am nothing. In verse three, he says that if I don't, if I do these things, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. So what do you have by having all of these gifts and maybe even using these gifts that God has given us? But if you don't have love combined with it, what do you have? Do you start to see the importance of this love? If you have faith, if you have hope, but you don't have love, what have you gained? What do you have? We see that love is all of these things. We learn what love is by these examples as well. The example that God has given us, the example that Jesus gave us. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we get that textbook definition if that's what you want. And after that definition, we do get kind of the, the ending of this chapter. And that's sort of where we started off with as well. We get verse 13, and I'm going to also go into the, the next chapter. But the end of 1 Corinthians 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Well, we find out that, that love must be present. Now, the focus, of course, is on these spiritual gifts. And he, he said that I showed you the verse right before 1 Corinthians 13 and then also the verse right after 1 Corinthians 13. And it's both talking about these spiritual gifts and how they need them, of course, and how we, how we all kind of work together as the body of Christ. All these things are true. But if we don't have love in the midst of it all, what do we gain? 
See, we must have love. That's why we also see these three do remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why do you think love is stated as being the greatest? Well, I do believe it's kind of the same type of thing that Jesus said. Whenever he was asked this question about which is the greatest commandment, this was Jesus' response. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So even Jesus himself, whenever he was asked, when, what, what's... What's the greatest commandment? What do we really need to be focused on? He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of these is love. Why is that? You got to have love in the midst of it all. If you don't love God, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, what have you gained? What do you have? What are you? That was Jesus's point. That was Paul's point. That's what all of these passages are kind of pointing to. Faith is great. Hope is great. And I think that we need those things too. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Our hope, of course, it's found in Jesus Christ. And then we see that we have to have love in the midst of it all. So we've seen this faith, and we see that the need to have trust in God. We've seen the hope that, that there will be good for us in the future. And we see this love, and we see the example that God has given us, that we need to love like God has loved. So faith, hope, and love. Do you have them? And are you willing to let them grow? Help me, dear Lord, as I journey below. More of thy wisdom and sweetness to know. Help me to Example.
Yeah.